This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 196 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest this week is Simon Hodgkinson. He's a security professional with over 35 years of experience in the space, most recently as CISO for BP. In our conversation, Simon shares his thoughts on the evolution of the cybersecurity space that he's witnessed over the course of his career and how we might address the industry skills gap that's leaving millions of jobs unfilled. We'll get his take on threat intelligence, as well as his advice for folks who are looking to pursue a career in cybersecurity. Stay with us. I started 35 years ago in uh, in IT. Uh, I started on mainframe technology back in the mid-80s, initially working in, in operations. I then joined um, a company called Ingress. It was a huge relational database company back in the day, big competitor with Oracle. After that, I joined Sybase, uh, another big relational database company. In both of those uh, organizations, I was a technical consultant. And then I uh, made the leap into investment banking and joined Lehman Brothers to run their uh, Unix and um, database engineering and operations. And uh, in 2000, I did a dot-com, and uh, it was creating a fixed-income electronic brokerage platform. Uh, Sadly, it wasn't successful. And um, in 2002, uh, I then joined BP and I've been with BP for the last 18 years and had uh, nine different roles at BP. And the the last one was chief information security officer. And the one prior to that was running all of the uh, global infrastructure. So everything from hosted networks, end user compute, field services to kicking off their uh, cloud transformation program. Well, I mean, from the the breadth of your experience there, you've really seen the evolution of the space. I mean, what strikes you in terms of how things have changed from those early mainframe days to what we're dealing with today when it comes to security? So it's really it's really interesting evolution, actually, Dave. The the you know IT typically goes through numerous technology cycles. I think the one thing that is consistent is the pace is increasing. Um, if we go back 30 plus years, uh, cyber attacks were an issue, um, but obviously not a massive issue back in the day. And they've been exp- exponentially increasing with the, um, uh, within the environment. Uh, and I think that's a couple of things, really. One is, um, you know, the uh, low cost to entry for, for cyber criminals, sadly. Um, the chances of the uh, cyber criminal being caught are pretty low. Um, and the other thing is this ever-expanding digital landscape. So if I go back 35 years, it was a very niche thing to digitize business processes. Now, if you're not a digital company, you you won't be in business. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I think back to the 
you know, the mid eighties of accessing computers with, with dial up and, um, you know, private networks and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, these days everything is hosed up to everything. Uh, it's, uh, the, the connectivity, the, the rate, the, the range and rate of connectivity is just, just a different world. It, it is fascinating. I, I, uh, I recall, um, working on mainframes. I used to do some systems programming and I'd often get called in at, at night and, uh, to fix some problems. And it was always a debate back in the day, um, do I jump in the car and drive to the office, which was about a 30-minute drive away, or do I try and set up my uh, modem at home, which had a 2K connection um, back into into the office and try and work through the problem from there. And now uh, connectivity is just omnipresent. Um, there are very few places you go in the world now where you know, you cannot connect and, and, and work successfully from. Um, and equally, as you as you travel throughout the world, um, you know, the organize, uh, countries, cultures are just being digitized. It's, it's just incredible growth. And what has your experience been when it comes to security intelligence and, and threat intelligence? How, how has that changed over the years as well? So I think it, again, it's it's followed uh, a similar path to the cyber um, crime uh, marketplace. Really, I think if you look at what's happening today, there is a, an enormous amount of attacks going on all of the time, and they tend to be really low sophistication, um, high volume. So not targeted at companies or, or, or nations or, or organizations. It tends to be fire and forget sort of scattergun type um, attacks where a criminal throws out, you know, millions of, uh, of attacks and hopefully is successful once or twice and, and they make some money out of it. I think where intelligence is really critical is um, the other end of that um, spectrum where you've got highly sophisticated highly resourced organizations, whether that's, again, criminal gangs, whether it's um, nation states, who um, really do target uh, companies, and they tend to be more sort of uh, espionage-type type environments, so not really for financial rewards, but looking for um, intellectual property, perhaps confidential information about acquisitions, plan, marketing plans, etc. There, that's where, for me, intelligence becomes really, really important. When you've got a um, very sophisticated attacker knowing um, their techniques, uh, tactics, techniques and procedures, knowing how they're pivoting those uh, those techniques is absolutely critical for two things. One is is really so that you can do your best to actually defend against it. But the second is to hunt for them in your environment. Um, you know, that constant feed of intelligence allows you to go and look in your network um, for those adversaries um, that uh, may well have been there for a while. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think there, there's two types. I, mean, I love the quote, there's two types of companies, you know, those that have been hacked and those that don't um, yet know they've been hacked. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, that, that ability to consume intelligence and go look for who's in your network is really important. As a, as a CISO and, and thinking about the role of CISOs today, how do you go about dialing that in? How do you go about 
choosing how much help you get from outside, how much you you staff internally? How do you turn those knobs? So I think I think the the yeah the capability question um, within cyber uh, security is really uh, really fascinating. It's such a broad uh, a broad topic. You know, there are so many different sources of, um, you know, of intelligence you can consume and you can get flooded by uh, by Intel. And uh, what's really important is is to target the right Intel to help you um, protect, uh, protect your company. And I think that's uh, that tends to be a, um, a variety of ways of doing that. One is building my, you know, I bought my own um, internal intelligence capability. Um, working with um, um, strategic intelligence within the company as well. So there's this um, constant convergence of what's happening in the physical world with what's happening in the uh, in the cyber world. So geopolitical intelligence is really, really important to to link with uh, with cyber intel. Then there's working with uh, some fabulous third party companies that are, um, are, are truly experts in in their field. Um, that can provide you um, not only the sort of real-time intelligence that you need, but also resources to come in and help you um, uh, when perhaps you uh, you need somebody to help with things like hunting, etc., or, or how do you systematically codify intelligence into your environment. I think traditionally um, Intel um, for, uh, has been um, relatively slow, and I think now it needs to speed up and be at wire speed. Um, which is a challenge because you've then got to consume that intelligence and you've got to uh, then apply it to what's happening in your day-to-day operational situation as well as then look backwards. So as you receive intelligence um, from uh, Intel companies, um, governments, et cetera, then being able to have the capability to apply that immediately but also look backwards for many years to check whether – there are any signals the adversary has been in your environment is is critical. What was your management style like? I mean, how did you go about finding the the people to fill those positions, and and how did you manage them once they were on board? So I think it's really important that um, you you uh, really invest in that cyber um, expertise. There, there are numerous external reports that talk about over 3 million vacant positions in, in cybersecurity globally, which is, a, is an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary number. So the competition for um, cyber capability is, is really fierce. Um, that comes from you know, the top down, from the CISOs. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's many vacancies for CISOs and, and, uh, and, and CISOs tend to move quite, um, quite, um, rapidly. So it's important that you have great development plans and really strong succession in all your, uh, roles within, uh, within cybersecurity. Uh, and, and once you've attracted capability, you've got to create the right environment to retain it as well. So, you know, it's really important to create that highly inclusive environment where people can bring um, their whole selves to the uh, to work, and they can bring, do, be be at their very best all of the time. And I think uh, we we absolutely need um, to invest uh, in in developing a pipeline outside of our companies as well. So 
working with academia, um, working with, you know, different talent pools. I think there's one area that we really have done a poor job um, in cybersecurity, and that's on diversity. Um, and I think there's a lot more we can do collectively as an industry to improve diversity in all of its wonderful forms. Um, it's the most obvious being being gender diversity is pretty poor in in, in IT and uh, cybersecurity, um, sadly. But I also think there are pools of talent that we have yet to um, really take uh, to, to take advantage of, and things like the the neurodiverse talent. Um, is a is a pool that we would just start it as you know at the end of my tenure we're starting to look at within uh, within the company as to how we onboard um, you know neurodiverse um, uh, talent into the environment. Um, so I think you have to you have to look at it from how do you develop the talent pipeline, how do you uh, you know pre coming into into your company. So you, we've all got a role to play um, in a more broadly in society in generating that talent and then within the company making sure there's the right development plan that give people um, experience exposure and education as well as um, a good succession planning to make sure you know as inevitably you lose great talent um, in a in a highly uh, highly competitive marketplace you've got the right capability to bring through so you know i'd say um, my job was entirely about capability development it's a really interesting point because I, I hear a lot of folks say that one of the frustrations for them is that it doesn't seem like a lot of companies are investing in those entry level people and then training them up within the company. Like there's a lot of competition for the people who sort of come in fully baked to have, you know, if you're someone who has that experience, you're in high demand, but uh, it's harder. It's harder for com- that. That's what companies are looking for. Do you think that's an accurate assessment of of where a lot of folks find themselves? I, I think it is a fairly accurate assessment of the of the marketplace today. But I, I just don't think that's sustainable. I mean, three million uh, vacancies. Whether that's true or not, it's a it's a big number. Uh, and in order to to address that and to make sure that companies um, continue to uh, be able to fulfil um, an increasing demand for cyber expertise, they're going to have to have programmes to bring people in at entry level, train them, um, create formal um, formal development paths so people are clear what it takes to get to the next level. Um, and make sure you invest. I'm a big believer in in sort of experience um, over over education. So making sure that that experience and exposure is given to people um, from the outset so they can develop in role, whether that's your level one SOC analysts moving up to forensics or what have you, being clear about what, what it's going to take to to, to, to be on that journey and then making sure that you're constantly looking to bring in um, that uh, talent um, at the entry level and, uh, and continue that cycle. I, don't, I think that's the only way we're going to fulfill this, um, this uh, you know, this skills gap in, in cybersecurity, which will, will continue, continue to grow. I've, I've spoken to some folks who have been out there looking at um, 
as you say, you know, diverse people to fill um, positions and, and talking to people like musicians, you know, artists. Uh, you know, it was, I talked to someone who said the musicians are great because they're used to working in teams uh, in real time, reacting to things, adjusting on the fly. You know, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a type of training that their mind has been through that could lend itself to cyber. Um, and we need people coming into the business with all sorts of different ways of thinking of things. Mm. Yes, yeah, spot on. I, I, and, and again, I'll come back to I think there are many different talent pools that we haven't um, we haven't yet um, tapped in the industry. I mean, one of our one, one, one great SOC analyst we had came from sort of a finance and accounting background. He was just great with sort of numbers and patterns in data and, and trained up really, really quickly. Uh, in cybersecurity and has done a done a great job. So I think you you, you know if people have the right mindset um, and uh, you know are curious, you have to be really curious and you have to be very very tenacious as well. So if you come in with the right mindset, then you know you can typically uh, you know you can typically pick up the the skills of the trade and be, as long as you you've got the right development paths to uh, to to coach you through that um, that learning um, and uh, and then you can be great, a, a great cybersecurity expert um, I think ex military is a, is another area that people are starting to look at a little bit more um, just again a really a really good mindset to bring in but I think it is about having diverse teams I, I I'll come back to I think you know, the very best teams are always um, teams with diversity of thought and, um, and and to fix really complex um, challenges and problems, which cybersecurity has in, uh, you know, has enormous, uh, enormously complex challenges to deal with, bringing in that diversity of thought in an environment that is um, is inclusive where people can be their whole selves is going to be the best environment um, for uh, for people to be successful. What is your advice to that person who who's thinking about a career in cybersecurity? Either someone you know on their way up, or maybe thinking about switching careers. You know, I think there are a lot of people who think that the requirements might be too much for them to be able to handle. Maybe they don't consider themselves good at some of those things that we traditionally think of with cybersecurity, computer science or math or so, you know, those sorts of things. So again, I think it comes down to, it comes down to mindset and having the right attitude. I think if you, if you are curious, really curious, very tenacious, um, you're, you've got agility, learning agility, so you can pick things up pretty quickly I think, you know, getting and I also think the the SOC is a great place to learn cybersecurity as well, because you tend to see real time what's happening. Um, I think, you know, being able to bring people into that environment is relatively easy with the right mindset. And, and then we can can teach the the technical side. Now, you know, not all, all organizations have the luxury to be able to do that, of course. Um, everybody's in a slightly different position, but I would encourage people. It's, it's just well, certainly in my 35 years that the, the, the running the, the cybersecurity function has just been the most fun, um, challenging, um, job that, uh, that I've ever, I've ever had. Um, because every day is is different. So if you like somebody, if you, if you're somebody who likes, you know, um, a fast-paced, agile environment, then cyber's the place to be. It's it's great fun. Our thanks to Simon Hodgkinson for joining us. 
Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.